Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. This episode is a 10-page podcast all about one of his short stories. Get ready to enjoy our remarks. All right, um, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We have another episode of the 10-page podcast. And I'm delighted to have a fellow Duck fan joining me. I've, I've been having a lot of fun meeting people and, um, and geeking out with, with fellow Duck fans in the course of doing this podcast. So I'm going to ask him to please introduce himself. And if you can tell us a little bit about your background in Duck comics. Yeah. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm Pierre. I'm from Sweden, Scandinavia, in Europe. I've been reading duck comics since the mid-80s. I was like six or seven, I think. And mostly it was through the weekly Donald Duck comic book that's still coming out in Sweden. And uh, from the beginning, I got to understand that some of the creators are more significant than others. And of course... I got to learn about Barks from the start, I, I think. So, and I'm really happy to be here with you. I hope the listeners can handle my Swedish accent. Absolutely, Pierre. I'm I'm delighted to have you on, and I'm sure that the listeners can can handle uh, your Swedish accent because you know I feel like Donald Duck belongs to Scandinavia as much as it belongs to the United States, right? Mm-hmm. So. I really am happy to get your perspective on some of these stories, especially a very American story like uh, the one we're going to talk about today, which is is Turkey Trouble, and it deals with the extremely American holiday of Thanksgiving. I'm excited to release some of these out of order for the 10 pagers so I can tie this to our American holiday here. And I, you know, I'm looking forward to getting your perspective and hearing some of the ways that they dealt with publishing these stories in Scandinavia because they're they're so beloved around yeah. the world. The, the stories are so popular in Scandinavia, yeah. right? And I am fascinated by that fact because the stories are so incredibly American yeah. <laughs> and very capitalist too. And, and for them to be popular in like the the social democracies mm. that fascinates me pierre did you so you said you figured out that carl barks was great pretty early on i started reading them and learned about barks around that same time in like the mid to late 80s i'm wondering was was it kind of a community thing where you knew other people who enjoyed that donald duck magazine well the donald, donald duck weekly was and still is, I think, the biggest uh, uh, comic book in Sweden. Everybody know, knew and knows about the Disney comics. So it was a, it was like I didn't stand out because I read uh, the Anna comics. Yeah. Today, I kind of stand out more, <laughs> of course. But still, there is quite a big Swedish community that does read Disney comics in general and Barks in particular even among uh, adults today in Sweden. So I, I never felt like totally alone. Right. So they didn't uh, they didn't hold on to these this childhood pursuit, right? Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I mean, I I grew up and I knew absolutely no one who liked these. My brothers would read them occasionally because I had them lying around. But but I always did feel a little bit embarrassed as I got into my teeth um, being such a big fan of these. But thank you for joining me and, and giving your perspective on this one. You know, I've given myself permission with these 10-page podcast stories to be a little bit less prepared. Um, so they're a little bit less work. We're going to we're going to be a little bit kind of free flow. So I am going to talk about this story sequentially, and I'm just going to kind of shoot it over to you if there's something where I'd like you to talk about it. That's great. A little bit of a little bit of background info in the United States. This one was published first in Walt Disney's Comics and Stories number seventy-five, and um, I see an alternate title, Turkey Turmoil. Right. And, and I think some other story might have been called Turkey Trouble at some point. So I should distinguish. This is one that was first published back in 1946 um, here in the U.S. So I think this is a fun one. It's, it's not like one of his all time best 10 cent, 10 page ones. But uh, but I really like this one. Um, Pierre, you were telling me a little bit, though, before we started about how they kind of reframed this one in Sweden. Do you mind telling the listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, well, uh, since the U.S. Thanksgiving isn't really a holiday in Sweden, they changed it to Easter, which is a Swedish holiday as well as, well, it does work being uh, changed from Thanksgiving to Easter. And I think I wouldn't have thought about being strange if I hadn't read like the English original as well, but it makes sense. It's a change that makes the story much more accessible for everyday Swedish readers, I think. Yeah, that's really interesting to me. And and as I think back on this one, it's right, because there's there's not too much Thanksgiving about it, right? It's It's all about the big holiday meal, basically, mm. being prepared for it. Some of mm. Burke's other holiday stories were probably harder for them to change because they're more explicit about like Thanksgiving and and maybe dressing up like pilgrims or things yeah. like that. I think that some of the, I can't remember which one, but some some of the other later uh, Thanksgiving stories, the editors actually had the turkeys redrawn to be pigs and they moved the story to Christmas time. I should have uh, looked at that up beforehand, but I didn't. So since most of these stories did end up in Sweden, uh, at least in in the 80s, they had to like put some uh, Scandinavian uh, touch to to them to make sense. It's always a trick to localize something like this. And so you've read this in both Swedish and English. Excellent. Well, um, let's get into the story and you can tell me you know, anything that you think is notable in, in, you know, how you originally read it. Great. So um, Turkey Trouble, Pierre, opens with the nephews in a state of gloom. And I really like the little splash panel. You know, they both got, they've all got these like clouds of gloom, literal clouds yeah. over their heads uh, about the fact that Donald says that he can't afford to buy a turkey for Thanksgiving dinner. Um, and, you know, I want to just talk right away about those little gloom clouds I saw in different. It's fun how they've been translated into different languages um, because they had it up on Index. So they're they're just walking through the city, um, feeling gloomy about how 
they're going to have to resort to eating weenies, hot dogs, if he can even find some and speculating. They might end up just having to eat potato pancakes. And uh, there's a fun little sight gag where one of the nephews says that he wishes turkeys were so thick around here, you had to kick them out of your way. And he kicks a little piece of paper and it ends up being a raffle ticket. Very convenient. Very convenient. <laughs> for a turkey, of course, that um, where a drawing is going to be held to to find out if you're the winner um, at 12, 10 o'clock, which is almost the time right now. And so they're going to head to that raffle. Any thoughts on this uh, opening setup, Pierre? Well, as you said, say, it's a, a very convenient opening. And I think Bart's does work with those like convenient just things happened because the store is needed and i have had the feeling that for some people it's kind of bothering them but for me it's just effective story storytelling it's like the build up is quickly done you can get do the fun gags and well kind of action story that this is as well as we will see yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I had that feeling sometimes. And, and as I've been revisiting these more, I'm like, I, I really admire sometimes how he really just gets into it. So on the next page, you know, they're racing over. It's a very fun panel of them with their feet a, a blur. Um, they're looking at the, the number on their ticket, which uh, is 236037. We kind of pan over to the hall where the raffle is being held. And, and sure enough, it's their number that's being drawn at that moment. There's a blindfolded man who must have just drawn it. And uh, the person who um, drew it is in the process of telling the audience that someone needs to come forward uh, by the count of three before they're going to draw another number. And, uh, and, and the nephews are over here in this. And so do you, do you want to tell us how this page goes? Yeah, well, very convenient. He starts counting, and half through the word, the word three, they arrive, and subsequently they are led into another room, and they start wondering why do why do they have this prepared dish hidden away? But they are soon to realize that it's not yet a dish; it's a living turkey, and quite grumpy-looking turkey as well. Yeah, I, I really like the setup there, right? The audience kind of gets the, the little foreboding that there's something wrong with this turkey that they've just won, because um, why would it be in the back room? You mentioned that the turkey, on onto the next page, they meet the turkey, and, you know, they, they're shocked to see that it's alive. And Pierre, I love how Barks has drawn this grumpy-looking turkey. I don't know about you. Yeah, it's one of his strong uh, like sides as an artist is uh, giving the characters specific expressions and like sum up their qualities as a character. And this poor turkey, which he isn't really ready to be at dinner. He's, he, he's not re ready to go anywhere. And he's also a big, heavy turkey. And the kids don't get far. Right. They start uh, carrying it away, but they soon give up, exhausted. Yeah, I love, I love how they try to, you know, hoist it all bound up at first. Mm -hmm. um, they have to rest all weary, and we see the turkey 
also very weary while they're resting. And, you know, they, they get their wagon at first thinking that they're going to tow it in the wagon. And, and then at some point they figure out that they can hitch it to the wagon. And, you know, what, what is it that they come to realize by the time they get home, Pierre? Well, they kind of grew attached to the poor grumpy turkey. They then name him. They name him Raffle. I, I think in the English original, isn't it so? They, they pluralize it, right? Raffles, which is just yeah. a cute affectation in English. And they get to think that they haven't got a dinner, but rather a nice pet. Yeah, they, they pretty quickly start to think of him as a pet. And while they are bonding, as they've kind of made that transition to thinking of it as a pet, Donald is getting home and he's having the same kind of gloomy thoughts, not having a great option for Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, he overhears the nephews talking about their turkey and looks out the window. And uh, Pierre, tell us about his immediate response to wrap up the page. Yeah, well, he, as any responsible adult do, he grabs the hatchet and runs out to kill it uh-huh. yeah i like that no, without a second thought he's just got an axe at the ready um yeah I like, I like the line he gets off here white meat dark meat drumsticks on the hoof here i come that's um happiness caught in a single frame <laughs> yeah and so you know the nephews immediately tackle him because they have already they've resolved it in their mind he's no longer dinner he is a pet so I guess at this point, this you're right, this wouldn't have been too hard to rework into Swedish and to make it talk about an um, Easter dinner, because they must just yeah. be discussing that they don't have anything for their Easter dinner. Exactly. So, you know, this kind of sets up a little bit of a tension. Donald's like, you know, you've got a turkey and we've got Thanksgiving coming up or we've got this big holiday. And uh, what are we going to do? And the nephews bring up a new suggestion, kind of out of nowhere. Again, it's a little convenient, but... <laughs> We're going on to the next stage, the next sequence of the story where they they've heard about a turkey shoot and Donald is excited. He's full of bluster about being a great shot. Um, And so he goes to grab his like his rifle and he heads to this turkey shoot. Is this a term that that you knew? Well, I didn't think of turkey shoot as an expression. Right. So there, there is like a term turkey shoot, right? I think that really were like an old time competition. I think this was a thing and it, it's not anymore. So a turkey shoot is an opportunity for someone to take advantage of an easy situation. And I guess it's named for when wild turkeys would be scattered by a hunter. This does talk specifically about like this sort of hunting event where you would shoot at these cards. So this is a very specific Americanism. I don't think they're really current anymore, though. And I like this little club, the Southside Joes. Have it. <laughs> this kind of club, uh, you know, a fellowship club, a thing in Sweden. Well, I guess it's pretty much uh, r- relatable. So that that works quite well, I think. Yeah, and it works in English too, but it definitely has a pretty dated veneer, right? Yeah. These are like these these kinds of clubs are kind of kind of going by the wayside in in the United mm. States. I think I think about like the Fraternal Order of Moose and the Elks mm. Club. And stuff like that. <laughs> I really like this setup. You want to tell us about the the turkey shoot setup here? Yeah, well, 
the good news have the good news have, have put up uh, five targets for Donald to try to shoot down, and he needs to Donald needs to hit three far off targets, and if he does, the turkey is supposedly his. Right, and the nephews are chatting with the 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 Joe, who doesn't seem very worried about the prospect of Donald hitting the targets all the way across the river. And, uh, and, and we come to learn that this is their only turkey. They're running a racket here, right? Because it's a bait bird. They plan to eat it for their own Thanksgiving dinner. They're just going to use it to make, to make some money off suckers because no one ever wins. And so they never need more than their one like showcase turkey. And uh, Pierre, you want to tell us why no one ever wins? Well, it's staged. Not only are the targets far off, they are also impossible to put down with the rifle. They are a bunch of cheaters. Yeah, because one of them is like bracketed into place. And and we learn this because, you know, the nephews resolve that uh, to, to help Donald win this one, one of them needs to, they need to swim behind and they're using their pea shooter. To, th- this is a fun little dated element, right? Because in the 1950s, 40s and 50s, pea shooters would have been a common little American plaything. Is that is that something that's kind of a cliche in Sweden, Pierre? Yeah, well, as, as you say, like in the first half of the 20th century, that was one of the fun stuff kids. And, and it's one of the signifiers that this is from a long time ago. But, yeah. Um, so they're using their pea shooters to knock these targets down. But when they come to the final target, they realize that one of them is going to have to go to some real risk to make it look like he's shooting that last target. They're going to, he's going to have to go back behind and, and knock it down at just the right time. What do you think, Pierre? It's, uh, it's quite daring. It's not something you are, you are advised to do at home, I think. Yeah. And, I like the little sight gag at the end there, right? Where he gets his his tail feathers, whichever mm. nephew gets his tail feathers clipped off. Why don't you tell us, Pierre, we transition to the turkey being delivered. You know, Donald has, has, has won the turkey. The Southside Joes have lost their turkey. And uh, tell us about the turkey delivery. Yeah, well, Donald is quite anxious to finally get his dinner. But the turkey is not as anxious to become dinner. <laughs> so uh, Donald comes up to him with his uh, eggs, but the turkey gets the first strike and they begin fight. And it's quite a violent fight. <laughs> ending up with them both being more or less unconscious. <laughs> and by, by this moment, the nephews get ready to finish off the turkey but donald having found i guess uh, a brother in arms or a spiritual uh-huh. friend at least he refuses to have the turkey killed off so now now they have two pet turkeys yeah exactly so so pierre i love this page this is my favorite page of this 10 pager i love the way the turkey busts out of his cage already fighting i love the the fight panels that Donald I love his fighting posture opposite the turkey um I just I love that the concept of this basically a knockdown drag out 
fist fight with a turkey. It's such a funny imagery. And it's the reason that I wanted to do this specific story for our American Thanksgiving episode. Like this one makes me laugh out loud. I, I just, I love this page so much. And when we get to the page, the panel that you mentioned where the nephews are ready to um, finish him off with the ax. And, and he says, what? Bump off this turkey. I love this turkey. He's got spirit. He just tosses the ax over the fence. Not, not a very smart maneuver there, but, uh, <laughs> but a great image. I, I love it so much. And it's also nice because for once, Donald gets to find a friend. Yeah. That's not too common in the stories. <laughs> he usually ends up either getting angry himself with others or others get too annoyed by him. That's right. It's a it's a kindred spirit, right, as he sees it, because it's as ornery um, and short tempered as he is. <laughs> and and I love the the last page here that we're getting to where we close out the story from the perspective of some random neighbor who is puzzling over the duck's behavior, right? Because they've got two turkeys in their backyard and he can smell them cooking cabbage. And, <laughs> and we see Donald cooking what he seems to be regarding as a really lovely vegetarian meal and getting ready to enjoy it. And uh, as he transitions to go tell the kids that dinner is ready. What, what do we see from outside the window, Pierre? Yeah, well, outside the window, the turkeys are getting ready to have their Thanksgiving dinner, I guess. And uh, as the ducks leave their kitchen, the turkeys supposedly sneaks inside. And when the ducks return, it's all been finished. The plates are empty and uh, the kitchen are filled of turkey tracks all over. Right. And and we get this great panel. Um, having just completely devoured their Thanksgiving, we have the two turkeys are completely fat and stuffed, very content looking. And Donald has this great word balloon where he sums up the, the whole story. He says, so that's the story. We, we got these Turks, he calls them, for Thanksgiving dinner. And instead, they eat ours. Mm. Uh, and how do we close it out, Pierre? Yeah, well, uh, the ducks obviously have given up and they put the sign up outside the house for sale to turkeys. Owners gone for hamburgers. We'll be back in five minutes. Right. So so um, it, it's a very tight story. You know, mm. the, these 10 pagers, I don't cover them as much on the podcast, mm. but they're really wonderful. And this mm. one is like, I don't think it's remembered by fans as being like one of his legendary ones, but it's just a great example of a really solid one that tells yeah. this very punchy, quick, very funny story with like a, a absolutely perfect ending. I really love this one. What did you think about it, Pierre, as just like a regular old bark story? And then as someone, you know, reading this from, from Sweden. Yeah, it's, the story, the pacing of the story is pretty much perfect. You never, it never slows down. It's one detail after another. Everything happens right in the exact moment that they are supposed to happen story-wise. And it's lots of good dialogue, as you have mentioned, and the fighting scenes and 
I mean, in one second, he has the axe in his hand, then he puts out his rifle. I mean, there's lots of weapons for a kid's carcass. I was and thinking it's, about that. I was thinking that this one is kind of violent. Did, did yeah. that, is that weird or does that, how'd that go over? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, if you compare it to, to the Donald Duck animated shorts, right. it's, it's the same spirit. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's all, always in a fun, good manner, happy mode. The kids and Donald are pretty much always on the same side. It's some, some of these stories have them put against each other, but here they are working together to get a good, happy family dinner. But uh, yeah, it's a happy story with a happy ending and uh, lots of violence yes. between. And it's that's fun. great. I, I think this story is just a total delight. And I think it's a great example of like a, a Barks holiday story. You know, I like to talk about like favorite panels in these. Are there any of them that really stood out to you that you really liked? Well, there are quite a few. I mean, this story is from 1946, right? Yeah. I think. Uh, and those years, I, I loved Barks. Like he's just started to find his game, so to speak. He, he, it's quite obviously that he's getting to really enjoy drawing these stories. But uh, on page, let's see, on page seven, the first panel, you got Donald actually a- aiming directly to us, uh, towards us as a reader. I'm not sure that would be allowed to today even put the gun directly to the viewer, but it's really nice, like composed. Yeah. I also like the fighting scene, as you mentioned, between uh, Donald and the second turkey. And the fat turkeys in the second to last panel are also really fun to look at. <laughs> yeah, those are all those are all good choices. You know, you're right. That's really striking how he's aiming the rifle right at the reader. This is a kind of a random panel to highlight, but I love the panel that just shows on that same page where he's shooting. Uh, it's got the South Side Joe very casually clipping his nails to show how unconcerned he is. Um, about losing their precious turkey. And uh, yeah, we, we already highlighted some of them, but, but almost every panel with Donald's turkey just, just cracks me up. It's so funny the way it's like gritting its teeth, its turkey, its non-existent turkey teeth standing off with Donald and how they kind of form that bond over violence. And and the nephew's turkey as well. He he does such a great job of making these very relatable expressions on these drawings of animals. Um, they they really land, and they're very memorable in a very short number of frames. I think it shows. Yeah, it, it's striking and to be able to because the turkeys are also quite. They do look like turkeys that we see, and still they are able to express both anger and uh, exhaustion. It's pretty good work of Barks. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you have noticed, but Barks actually signed this story with his name. Where, where is that in this one? It's quite hidden. It's on page four, the second pen on one of the cans in Donald's uh, kitchen. It oh, says Barks Dogs. That's right. That's right. 
Yeah, that's a fun little piece of trivia. This was, I guess, one of the, I think I remember reading that. And it's one of the very, good catch, thank you. One of the very few panels, um, stories where he sneaks in a reference because of course he famously was not allowed to put his actual signature. These are all Walt Disney's Donald Duck for the longest time. Exactly. Yeah, so um, thank you so much, Pierre, for, for talking about this story with me. What is there? Is there anything that really stands out to you as someone reading this from Sweden that, you know, maybe the translators couldn't account for that just you're like, oh, this is this is an American element. Well, we've already talked about the holidays, of course. But then uh, in the very beginning, the kids talk about what they will have to eat because they don't have turkey. And they say dinners or even potato pancakes. And the translators also change that to like Swedish counterparts. That's all. Awesome. Uh, and for some re- reason, I'm not sure why, but in the very, very end, when they have gone to uh, get hamburgers, the Swedish translation says they have gone to have hot dogs. Huh. Which uh, I looked it up. This story came out in 1977 in Sweden, so it, it was quite late. And I'm pretty sure there was hamburgers in Sweden by, by that. So I'm not sure why they changed it, but maybe it was still a bit too exotic. Sure. That's interesting that this one didn't make it over there until uh, the late 70s. Cause... I think I think that's because the I, I mentioned the Donald Duck Weekly, the main Swedish Disney comic book. It started to come out in 1948. So lots of the stories from before that didn't make it into Sweden until much later. So were they publishing everything in pretty much that that one single publication? Whereas, okay, so in America, you know, they were doing the um, both the four-color one-shot yeah. and Walt Disney's comics and stories, and then they added Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge. The, the four-colors magazines and sub, sub, subsequently... Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge, they were either published into several parts, like they cut up the stories. So each magazine had seven pages and then it was to be continued next week. And in the 50s, they started to publish four color equivalents in Sweden, which allowed like Donald Duck uh, adventure stories was allowed to be like published as they should be nice that yeah that's really interesting i i really appreciate getting your perspective as uh you know a scandinavian fan because i know that these are so important to all of the yeah. countries of scandinavia this one if, if you look at it on index this is pretty well regarded you know the this one has a 7.4 out of 10 which is good for rank 449 out of the 41,000 some comics. So that, that compares pretty favorably to a lot of the 10 pagers. It's obviously not like regarded as one of his classics, but it's definitely in that range that would suggest it's your, your solid average early Barks 10 pager. But I, I do find this one is one of the more memorable of the Thanksgiving themed ones mm-hmm. for me. So yeah, a lot, lot of fun. Any any other thoughts? Anything else you wanted to mention, Pierre? No, I think we have gotten through this story quite nice. 
it's yeah. uh, as you say it's a not not really classic but when when you read it you really get to appreciate like the everyday work of, of, of Barks. I, I mean, he, he put out one of these 10 pages for, well, 20 years, one story a month. And he kept like this quality book in storytelling and in uh, uh, the drawings. And it's quite amazing when you think about, about it. And a story like this is it's just plain fun. Absolutely. You, you said it very well, right? This is a big part of why we um, are such big fans of Carl Barks, right? Because this is just kind of one of his average stories and, and it's delightful. And he kept up this pace for so many years, as you mm-hmm. said. So thank you again so much for joining. Um, looking forward to, you know, some others that'll benefit from your perspective. And uh, as always, listeners can reach out to us on the Facebook page, Barks Remarks or BarksRemarks at gmail.com. And um, we'll have more of these 10-page podcasts uh, coming out, as well as our proper adventure-length stories. So thanks again, and um, happy Thanksgiving to American listeners, and uh, happy other um, holidays to, to anyone in the international listenership. Thanks. Thanks.